I love that song. And if I remember correctly, is that one that uh, I feel like Cammy said, you got to hear this song, and then you learned it like in a day, and we sang it the next Sunday, right? It was Saturday. Yeah. Then yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so like Cammy shared that song with Micah a few years ago, and then Micah like learned it in a day, and we were singing it the next Sunday at church when we were still meeting in town. And, and man, I, I love just the the proclamation that there is no one higher, there is no one greater than our God. And what's interesting to me, uh, interesting maybe in a sad way, is that a lot of times we would come to church, we'll worship, we'll sing a song like that, God, there is no one higher than you, there is no one greater than you, and then we, we leave here and we live as though that's not true. And I don't, this is not a, a, a little interlude about how like we, we leave and, and uh, we make ourselves higher than God. Actually, I want to talk about it a little bit different than that. Like sometimes we leave and we feel like, okay, we serve this great God, this powerful God, this mighty God, no one higher, no one greater. And then we leave and we believe that somehow what we've done last week or what we screw up this week has shaken all of heaven and that like that somehow our actions are able to undo the love of God, undo his power, undo his mercy, undo his grace. And I just want us to be reminded and to remember that God is bigger and better than all of our highest blessings and all of our deepest failures and that, that we can rest in him. And so, so I, I want that to be an encouragement to you this week that however you think you've come into this place, whatever you think you've done wrong, whatever you think you've screwed up, whatever you think you are not, uh, I don't know, you just, whatever, like God is bigger than that. And, and, um, and man, that's exciting to me. Turn to Romans 4, please. We will, we will be in Romans 4 today. Uh, my notes theoretically say Romans 4 and 5, but for time's sake, we're probably not going to make it to 5. And, uh, and, and so Romans 4 is where we will be today. And here's what we have on tap. Our theology today is this. Our faith is counted, uh, our faith is counted to us as righteousness. Our faith is counted to us as righteousness. Let's see. I... I yeah, good. Pierce fixed that for me. In my notes, I said our faith is counted to you as righteousness. Way to go, Pierce. Way to fix that. So uh, in the midst of not feeling well and everything. So our application today is this. We must be fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised. That's really key. I'm super excited to talk about that in a few minutes. And our prayer today is this. God, allow us to rest in you today, trusting in your provision of righteousness that comes through faith. Man, all right. Our faith is counted to us as righteousness, Romans 4. We've been talking about Romans the last two weeks. We were in Romans 1 a couple of weeks ago. We saw that the gospel is the power of God uh, uh, for all who believe, the Jews first and then the Gentiles, that, that through faith God's righteousness is revealed, through faith God shows himself as a gracious, righteous God. And then last week in Romans 2 and 3, we looked again at how how salvation is for everyone, that God shows no favoritism, that God shows no partiality, that, that there are some people who would teach that, that Christ is only for certain people. There are even churches in, uh, in 21st century, like Christian churches that would say, well, really, we're the only denomination that gets Jesus. We're the only denomination that gets saved or whatever. But like faith in Jesus is, is available for everyone, for every people group, for every tribe, for every tongue, for every nation, everyone. Uh, it, it doesn't matter their past. It doesn't matter uh, where they've come from. It doesn't matter their background. Putting faith in Jesus is righteousness for all who believe. 
And I told you last week that while that might be easy for you and I to wrap our heads around, that was really difficult for the first century Jews because the first century Jews believed God was only for them, believed that salvation was only for them, believed that righteousness was only for them. And so these first century Jews were like, no, 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 it's just us. And Paul's going, no, everyone who believes gets the benefit of, of God's grace and everyone who believes gets the benefit of God's righteousness. And so that's what we talked about last week. Now, Look here, uh, we continued this conversation on Wednesday night and went into chapters 2 and 3 in a little more depth. You're always welcome to join us on Wednesday nights, 6 o'clock Bible study at Michelle's in my house across the way there where we kind of go into more depth. Uh, we would love to have you anytime. But Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Uh, what that means, the question that's asked there... I, I don't know if you're like me. When I was growing up in church and, uh, and I would sit there and I would listen to the preacher, he'd read a verse or he'd read a lengthy section of scripture. And then I'd be like, I have no idea what any of that means. You know, like you went way too fast. I don't understand any of it. And so my, my default setting oftentimes is to go too slow. You know, like, I, hey, we made it through one verse. We have 20 to go through and here's one verse. Let me pause and give some commentary. So I apologize if I go too slowly. Uh, but what shall we say? So, so the question is this. Um, Paul has just said in chapter 3 that it is not through works that we are saved, but we are justified by grace, that it is a free gift of God. He said that in 324. So all who believed, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, 323. But all who believe are justified by faith. This comes by faith. It's not through our works. And then Paul is anticipating a question, right? This isn't a Zoom call. This is a scroll, you understand, right? Paul is writing out things on a scroll, having some buddies carry it to Rome, and they're reading this scroll. And you can imagine, I, I think Paul was very, very intelligent, and I think Paul understood his audience. And so he goes, look, guys, it's just by faith. And some people are going to go, whoa, whoa, what about Abraham? Abraham didn't, have, Abraham didn't have faith in Jesus, and that's the question he's anticipating, which now Paul's going to address, which is awesome. And he says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham Ain, by all the works that he did? That's according to the flesh, his works. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is a very important thing, okay? If Abraham was made righteous by his works, then Abraham has something he can brag about. Guys, if our salvation is a matter of what we do, then we can walk out these doors, go into town, have lunch, and brag to everybody about how we justified ourselves, how we saved ourselves, how we've accomplished this. Look at what we've done. And Paul says, no, that's not how it works. Abraham wasn't justified before God because of what he did. Abraham was justified before God because he believed God. Because he put faith in God. And so he's saying, we don't have room to boast. He goes, the boasting doesn't rest in us. He's already mentioned that back in, in chapter 327 because he's talked about faith. So this feels a little weird. What does Abraham have to boast in? If Abraham's works accomplish justification for him, then Abraham gets to boast all day. But Paul has already said in 327, we don't get to boast. He goes, because we're not saved by works of the law, we're saved by faith. So you and I, we are people who, I mean, I like this word, maybe you'll like this word, I don't know, but like we love to be braggadocious, right? Like anybody, braggadocious, you know, vocabulary development, senior year in high school, 
Like there were like five words that I still remember from vocab development. It, it did not help my English section of my SATs at all. I really bombed that whole thing. Math side, really great. Most of my SAT score was my math side, if you want to know, okay? Uh, my English side did not contribute very much to it at all. And, and, and so, so there's, there's nothing, right? Like we, we want to be able to say, look at, what, look at this thing that I accomplished. Look at this thing that I did. Look at this thing that I've done. And yet when it comes to our faith, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to righteousness, all of that is put aside, all of it. And we're able to boast then and say, look what God has done. Look at what Christ has accomplished. Look what God has provided. And we boast and we brag in God. Why? Because we simply believe that God will do what he says he's going to do. Our faith is in this, this awesome, powerful God who is higher and greater, like we just sang about, that he has justified us. He has made us righteous. He has made us holy. He has made us pleasing to God. He has done that, and our boast is now no longer in us, but in him. All right? What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, you're going to feel like I'm harping on this because I've said this in different ways the last two weeks. You're going to go, Ryan, you've been saying this. I need us to really, really wrap our minds around this, that, that believing God for salvation, believing God for righteousness, believing God for the removal of our sins, that that is the thing that is required of us, that we believe. In John 6, I alluded to this, I think, two weeks ago in John 6 when the people who were following Jesus who would not put their faith in him, they'd be leaving him by the next day. Uh, the people who were following Jesus said, what good work must we do to inherit eternal life? What law, what, what thing must we obey? How must we perform? And Jesus said to them, he goes, here's the good work you've got to do. Believe in the one God sent. That's it. And if you're sitting here and you're going, man, that just seems too easy. We had somebody on Wednesday night Bible study. They're like, man, that just seems too easy. And I'm like, isn't that awesome? Isn't it awesome that salvation is easy? Like, I don't know, I don't know what kind of ego we've got to have that makes us believe that we should have to work for it, right? Like, we want to be able to tell people, look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've, like, no, no, no. Like, salvation is easy, that, that should give us great encouragement. Here's why it should give us great encouragement. Because many of us at one point or another in our lives have felt inadequate, have felt too small, have felt impotent and powerless and weak and frail. And here we are and we're going, man, I can't do it. And the great news is, as it regards salvation, you don't have to. As it regards salvation, you believe. Wow, isn't that easy? Yes, it is beautifully, gloriously easy. Listen to this in verse 4, 4-4. Four, four. I'm not going to make it through even chapter 4 if I keep doing this. So, uh, all right, look at 4-4. Four, four. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. Paul, now, what Paul is doing here in chapter 4 is he's explaining chapter 3. Look at this, 3-24. We are justified by God's grace as a gift, so he's just said gift here. When he says it in 4.4, he's not just pulling this out of the air. He is explaining himself from just a few sentences earlier. Okay? And so he says, the one who works, his wages aren't a gift, but what is due him to the one who does not work, but believes in the one who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. So in other words, if you work for something and you get paid, you got paid because you were owed that. All right? You were due that. So I paint pictures, 
and people pay me for them. And that is my payment for the work that I've done, right? And so my very first job ever, 15 years old, Chick-fil-A. I was the best fry guy, okay? Here's how you knew you were the best fry guy at Chick-fil-A. Back then, Chick-fil-A's only existed in the malls, if you remember those days. We were right across from the movie theater and the food court there in Midland, Texas. And I was the best fry guy because we never ran out of hot fries on Saturdays. That's how I was the best, okay? And, and it's, a, it's a very delicate balance. It is. Because if you cook too many fries, then they kind of get soggy sitting there waiting. You know, it's no good. And if you don't cook enough, then you have a whole line of people waiting, which makes them angry. And so like this delicate balance. And man, I could kill that. I was awesome at fries. But I was also good at math. Remember the whole SAT thing a minute ago? Bad at everything else. Good at math. And so I was one of the few people that could count back change. Because back then, the register didn't tell you how much change to give. You had to know. And so, uh, 32 years ago. And so, so I would give back the change. So my, I was like, in three months, I graduated from Fry Guy to register, right? Got a little raise. But I got paid at 15 years old. I got paid for my 15 hours a week because I worked 15 hours a week, right? That's what was owed me. If righteousness is a matter of works, then it's not a gift. It's what you're owed, if, if you can earn righteousness, God isn't being kind to you. He's just giving you what you do. But what does the Bible say? It is God's grace and his kindness and a gift, meaning you and I have not earned it. We have received it graciously because of the overwhelming kindness and love and compassion of God. Righteousness is God's benevolence to you, not your paycheck for work done. And so people, people feel this, this tension in them because everything else almost in our life is something we've earned in some way. And so we come to salvation, we feel this little tension in us because we're like, yeah, but like, doesn't God want me to do something to get this? No. He wants to lavish his love on you. And you're like, yeah, but I just don't know. Listen, here's the requirement. Believe God. That's the requirement. Believe God. All right, check it out. This is cool. Let's, let's do this. I'm going to jump down really quickly to verse 9. Is this blessing of righteousness only for the circumcised or also for those who are uncircumcised. That is a little more crass of a way to say, is this for the Jews only or also the Gentiles? All right, it's pretty crass because now Paul is talking about, you know, bathing suit areas, right? Instead of just saying, that's a nice way to say it for your kids who are in the audience, right? Now he's talking about bathing suit areas instead of just saying Jew and Gentile. He's like, is this blessing of righteousness for those who are circumcised? Or also for the uncircumcised. And the Jews are going, no, 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 it's not for the uncircumcised, it's not for them. And then look what he says. How was, a look, look at this. So we say faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was faith given to Abraham? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It wasn't after he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose of this was to show that God is the father of all who believe, or that Abraham, sorry, was the father of all who believe, Jew or Gentile. Again, Paul's saying this. Salvation and belief are for anyone who puts their faith in God. 
Salvation is for anyone who puts their faith in God. Here's the application. And this is going to be super hard for some of us. And it shouldn't be because it sounds super simple. But here it is. Ready? The application is this. We must be fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised. We must be fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised. In this case, chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and then 5, in this case, save you. Make you righteous. Forgive you. Redeem you. Wash you clean. Make you holy. Call you a saint. Bring you into his kingdom. You must be convinced that God is able to do it. You've got to believe. A friend of mine down in the Houston area says it this way. When asked about her faith, she says, I just know that I know that I know. That's her way of saying, I'm convinced. I just know that I know that I know. How do you know that God is this? I just know that I know that I know. How can you believe it? Listen, there is nothing, nothing, nothing that would cause me to disbelieve that God loves me. Nothing. There is nothing that would cause me to disbelieve that God sent Christ as a means of forgiveness and righteousness. There is nothing that would cause me to disbelieve that Christ was crucified and raised from the dead. There is nothing that would shake me from those things. I am fully convinced of it. And being fully convinced of it, I find that I'm also righteous. Why? Because I believe. Because I've put my faith, the object of my faith is in God who has provided this love for me. The object of my belief isn't Ryan, isn't the church building, isn't the church as an institution. The object of all of my faith isn't my Bible reading, isn't my scripture memory. The object of all of my faith isn't the prayer that I pray as I get on my face before the Lord or whatever. The object of all of my righteousness, sanctification, forgiveness, holiness, belonging, all of it, the object of it is God. And I simply say, I believe. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you have provided Christ for me and for all who would believe. I believe that righteousness is found in you. I believe that forgiveness is found in you. I believe the resurrection from the dead is found in you. I believe. Man, guys, that is great news. And what we have been tricked into believing, and we can talk more about this. You can ask me about this after church if you want. What we have been tricked into believing is, Believe in Jesus for salvation, and then after that, he tags you in, and the rest of it's on you. That's what we've been tricked into believing. But the reality is that the faith that I start with my relationship with God with is the faith that sustains me day in and day out. That the Holy Spirit, I'm trusting God today, that the Holy Spirit will do work in me. It's not Ryan's job to look more like Jesus. If Ryan could look more like Jesus, God would have left me alone. I believe that God is able to make me righteous through Christ. And guess what? I believe that God is able to make me look more like Jesus because of the Holy Spirit that lives in me. I put faith in God for salvation, and every day that faith works itself out over and over again, going, God, today I believe. Today I believe that you are still God, that you are still on your throne, that there is no one higher, that there is no one greater. My faith still rests in you. Look at this. pick up in verse 13. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the works of the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is those who adhere to the law who are heirs of God, faith is null and the promise is void. Guys, I need you to get this. 
Paul says this kind of thing twice, twice in the scripture. There might be another one. If you find out that there's another one and I miss it, then come and tell me. But I'm, I'm pretty certain it's twice. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if Christ is not raised from the dead, our faith is worthless and has no value. Here, he says this. If it is those who do works of the law who are heirs of God, faith is null and the promises of God are void. Faith has no value. Faith has no value if it's those who work who get their righteousness. It's not those who work who get righteousness. It's those who believe. Look at what he says here in verse 15. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Really cool thought that he's going to bring up about three more times in the book of Romans. We probably will not have time on a Sunday morning to discuss this, but I would be more than happy to talk about it with you over a Diego's burrito. That is why it depends on faith. For the law brings wrath. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise of God may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only the Jews who adhere to the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, the father of us all. As it is written about Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed. He gives life to the dead, calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he would become the father of many nations. And as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. He was about 100 years old at the time. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Listen. But he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But this was not written, but these words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. For it will be counted to all of us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, and who delivered up for our trespasses and was raised up for our justifications. Listen, it was not Abraham's work that made him a child of God. It was not Abraham's work that brought the promises of God into fulfillment. It wasn't Abraham's work that made Abraham selected by God to be a, uh, the forefather of all nations. It wasn't Abraham's work that caused him to be the, the, the father of all salvation, or not salvation, but all righteousness and the people who would be the people of God. It's not his work. It was that he believed. It was that he did not waver in unbelief. It was that he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And we go, well, good for Abraham. And Paul goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. This wasn't written for Abraham's sake only, but for all of us who would believe. For all who believe in God are righteous. For all who believe are righteous. I've mentioned this before. I'll mention it again because it still ticks me off. And I'll probably mention it until the guy retracts his book or something, retracts his statement, I don't know. But there's a book written by a pastor up in the panhandle. Every time I say there's a book written by a pastor, people think Joel Osteen. That's not who I'm talking about, okay? There are other pastors who write books, okay? I wrote seven. So, uh, so, so this guy in the panhandle, right, he wrote this book. I won't tell you the name of it because I really don't want you to read it. 
but in his book, he talks about being a Christian, and he says, I believe in God. And then he says, except the days I don't. Catch this. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was raised from the dead, except for the days that I'm not sure that really happened at all. And he goes, and that's just the life of a Christian. He goes, because where there's real faith, there also has to be real disbelief. I want you to catch what he's saying. Where there's real faith, he says, there also has to be real disbelief because otherwise it can't be real faith. That's not what Paul says. Paul, Paul's calling faith as being fully convinced in your own mind. No, no, no thing is making you waver or doubt it. You say, man, I am sure of it. I am positive of it. James, in the book of James, conveniently because, anyway, James in the book of James says, he who has faith and doubts doesn't even know what he's talking about at all. That's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. That man receives nothing from the Lord. So, so this guy, he says, look, he goes, he goes, I pray because I was taught to pray. And he goes, on the days that I, this pastor, he says, on the days that I believe in God, I feel like my prayers might be getting somewhere. But most days, he goes, I'm not sure they even break through the ceiling because I'm not really sure there even is a God in heaven. And he, in his book, says, that's just what it looks like to be a Christian. And it grieves me and it ticks me off. It grieves me because this is a man who does not know Jesus. And it ticks me off because what he's telling people is it's okay if you feel that way. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. We believe. We are fully convinced that God is able to do everything he said he would do. It's interesting to me. I'll talk to people sometimes. We'll pray for someone's uh, healing or to recover from sickness or for a job or a new house or something that they need in their life. And we pray and we'll be like, man, I just believe God's going to do it. And here's what I find. I find that some people walk around with such shame and such self-condemnation and such self-loathing. They go, man, man, I, I, yeah, I believe that God loves me. Yeah, I believe that God saves me. But I just, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty screwed up. I'm pretty bad. I've, I've really messed up a lot of things. And, and, we, we kind of get this mindset that somehow what I am capable of doing, my works, good or bad, are able to kind of derail this whole thing that God has going. That somehow I, I'm going to be the penny on the track that instead of just getting run over by God's grace, I'm going to derail the whole thing and everything is going to just become this catastrophic failure. And I just want to remind you what we just sang a moment ago, there is no one higher, there is no one greater than God. That includes you and me. And what I want to remind you is that, that your works cannot undo the grace of God. And I want to remind you that, that for all the garbage maybe that you've brought with you this morning and that you set down with you, I just want to encourage you, just leave it when you leave. Leave all the garbage behind when you leave. And believe, fully convinced, that the God who loves you and gave his son up for you is able to save you to the uttermost. Believe that. Tell me that's not going to change how you do your life a little bit. Tell me that's not going to change how you share your faith a little bit. Tell me that's not going to change how you do your marriage a little bit and raise your kids a little bit. To just say, listen, believe to finally lay down all of your labors, to lay down all of your striving, to lay down all of your worries, to lay down all of your fears, to lay down all of the things that you have put blood, sweat, and tears into and to just say, God, oh man, I am resting in you, I believe. 
And, and then, and then, like, maybe we can be a church that when we're coming in here together and we're fellowshipping together week after week and we're worshiping together week after week, maybe we can be the kind of church that we are celebrating week after week because we are a church of people who believe. We are a body of people who believe. Fully convinced, like Abraham. And Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. And Paul goes, hey, reader, that's not just for Abraham. Some of you are going, yeah, yeah, I believe, but look at all these other things I've done. No, 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 stop. But I believe, but look at, no, 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 stop. But I believe. The end. And here in my belief, here in my faith, I have found forgiveness. Here in my belief, here in my faith, I've found righteousness. Here in my belief, here in my faith, I have found the gift of grace lavished on me by the God who is higher and greater than everything else. Man. I just, I want you to walk out of here encouraged today. I want you to walk out of here facing a different kind of week today than you had planned to face. I want you to walk out of here today knowing and believing in your heart that our gracious God who has provided salvation for us through Jesus Christ, dead, buried, and resurrected, ascended into heaven and coming again one day, I want you to believe that that's enough. To rest in him and find your peace in him. And that brings us to our prayer. God, allow us to rest in you today. Trusting in your provision. God, allow us to rest in you today trusting in your provision of righteousness that comes through faith. Would you take a moment just to pray that? That God would allow you to trust in him, to rest in him, that you'd be free from your labors, that you'd be free from your worry, that you'd be free from your fear, and that you would come to the place where you just rest.